We're talking about what do you like to wear to church, because I, I, I wanted to tell you that story, mainly because it fits in with the message, but a wonderful experience I had recently. Now, in general, we say it's better that you decide not what you're going to wear, but you wear something. You wear clothes. That always works better. But recently, Barb and I visited an old friend who is a pastor now in Summit County. And uh, understand that he had a short Navy career where, of course, everything had to be done perfectly. And he was on a nuclear submarine, so even more perfectly because mistakes are far more serious when you're on a nuclear submarine. He's one of these guys that has very high intelligence and high commitment. And, and, and so when he became a Christian, pretty soon he found himself in seminary and that wasn't enough. He got a Ph.D. in theology. So... <clears throat> Yet every position he had in ministry stayed away from the pastorate and instead found himself in executive roles. So the last one that he had was called Director of Advancement of Denver Theological Seminary. Now, I'm going to translate that into words we all understand. Fundraiser. (laughs) Fundraiser in chief. And that is what he did, and he did it like everything else he does. He does it excellently. But when he uh, was that fundraiser in chief for an entire seminary, raising millions of dollars, probably tens of millions of dollars for their advancement in new campus, uh, you can be certain that every day he went to the seminary, went to his office in a coat and tie. And more than that, I am certain that whenever he was told to show up to fundraising events, or, or, or the, uh, the, the fundraiser committee, it was a power tie and a real suit. That's just the way that it would be expected. You've got to look like you're raising funds. So uh, that's what he does. Now he's a pastor. So Barb and I uh, were up there in Summit County visiting our perfect new grandson. And, and as we're there... Um, <clears throat> Uh, we decide we're going to go visit him in his church. So we go to his church, and uh, there he is. We go to the earlier service, and and there he is. And I hadn't seen him in four or five years. And and I say, Jim, it is so good to see you. And Jim greets me, and he's wearing uh, jeans. He's obviously no longer a fundraiser. Jeans and a plaid shirt with um, the shirt tails untucked. And I give him a long look up and down. And, uh, and I say, it's really good to be here. And, 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 I, and so I, before we leave him, I say, I, I'd really like to know your reason for having your shirt tails untucked. And I, this is what I expected, and it's what I got. His reason was so that he could identify better with the community and with his congregation. Now, I know Summit County. My daughter lives there. That's where my grandson was born. So afterwards, I looked up, and uh, I went to him, and I said, it's interesting you'd say you want to identify with your community because I walked all around your congregation, and only two people had their shirts untucked, you and your associate pastor. (laughs) Now, this is a guy that I can tease because he knows I love him. All is well, okay? It wasn't meant to be a criticism, But what I'm trying to say is, is that uh, we pastors, and and if you're not laughing at us already, you will soon. We pastors think that the way we dress has something to do with how we communicate. So I, you know, here is a man who uh, 
wears his shirts untucked probably for the first time in decades. And he's now approaching his 60s. He's just under 60 years of age. Now, one of my favorite ministers that I love to listen to, uh, he always appears in a suit and power tie. Always, always, always. He may sleep in it for all I know. But it's always that way. And and so every time I see him after he teaches, you know, or, or while he's teaching, it is always impeccably dressed. The problem is, is he lives in San Diego County. And his church is in San Diego County. Three and a half million people, he's probably the only one that wears a suit and tie. In the entire county, as far as I know. It's just, it's just... The, the weather's just too good. Most people are wearing shorts and flip-flops well into, just, well into December. Well, I have another person that I highly respect. And uh, he is now reaching his mid-50s, but he is teaching a congregation in the 20s, 30s, and early 40s. And so the, it's become known that, you know, through his, uh, his mega church and his, his television appearances and whatever, that before he gets up to speak, because he's now in his mid-50s and probably has crow's feet and like that, he has a makeup artist come and get him ready so that he can better identify with his congregation. And he's doing a great job. I don't mean that. I'm not, I'm not even putting him down. I, I guess you might say I'm exposing him a little bit, but he's not exposing himself. Uh, I mean, by putting on makeup, he's not... Okay, you, you understand what I'm saying. He, he's not showing himself for who he really is. And I just want you to know, I don't either. My makeup artist today... Did a wonderful job because in actuality, I'm 45 years old. <laughs> the problem with this, and understand, it is pretty much only practiced in our American culture. Where uh, image and looks and identity are so, so important. The problem with this is that we might begin to think that it's uh, totally the looks of the messenger... When really, as we look into scripture, that's not it at all. Now, looks are important. That's how I got this job. I'm just another pretty face. And I understand that. But but there are a couple things that are even more important. And in our series on foundations, we've tried to focus on all the, the, you might say, the foundational elements for you and me doing ministry in the world today. And of course, to do ministry means we're just not looking at people, but instead we have a relationship with an amazing God. And that amazing God tells us that he has thoughts and he has methods or ways that are different than our thoughts and ways. And that, you know what? He says, mine are better than yours. Mine have greater effect than yours. Mine are perfect. And I have many of them where you probably get into ruts. And one of his greatest thoughts of how he's going to touch the world was not just by sending his son Jesus, but by Jesus making disciples, and those disciples would make disciples. So Jesus, one of his last commands was to his own disciples, go and make disciples. And so key to a foundation of the, of the movement of God around the world is it's done by people. People who have sold out to God and to his son Jesus. So... These disciples really don't say much when they make a fashion statement. 
And Jesus never made a fashion statement. That's not how he made disciples. In fact, if he had a fashion statement, it was simplicity in your fashion. Instead, Jesus makes a faith statement. A faith statement saying, I have some great news, some good news, which is called the gospel of Jesus. And this good news of Jesus is far more important for any follower of Jesus than what a church leader or any believer wears. You see, it really gets down to the depth of his faith and what he says about that faith to others. So what about the depth of our faith? I want you to know, friends, that in this passage I'm about to read, the, the first few verses talk about the message itself. The authority of the message we have. If you have your Bibles, go to First Thessalonians chapter 2. And I'm reading in verses 1 to 13. But I'm only going to do a couple at a time. You know, brothers, in verse 1 of chapter 2, First Thessalonians, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. The key word there is the gospel. The gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. We understand that we have a message that is incomparable. Its content is the most important content that could ever be communicated. It is God's message. And it's God's message to us. So that when we speak it, we understand it's more than just how well we know it. Or how we dress when we say it. Or how well we communicate it. We understand that this just does not come with human authority, but it comes to us with heavenly authority. And that there are very simple summaries that sort of express what this gospel is. Let me just read one if you're not familiar with it. It puts it in a nutshell what the gospel is, what this good news is of Jesus Christ. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. This is really crucial, he's saying. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. And then it talks about all the others that he appeared to including 500 at one time. And then Paul says in verse 8, And last of all he appeared to me as to one who was aborted. That's what the word actually means. Traumatized. My birth was traumatized. I shouldn't be alive in Christ. But God let me live. Well, that is the message that we're talking about. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was raised on the third day according to the prophecies of the scripture of the Old Testament. But also according to historical fact. We cannot find his body. We cannot find it, and we never will, because it was ascended. So they go to, uh, after being treated poorly in Philippi, they take a five-day journey, and they end up in, in Thessalonica, and this is the same message that they tell them that has spread now from uh, Jerusalem through all Judea, into Turkey, and across the Straits, 
so that it's now in Europe and people are responding. In fact, at the end of this passage, it says this, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, uh, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work. You see those words there? It was the same message given with God's authority that they spoke no matter where they go, where, where they went. It's not that it was memorized word for word, but the basic tenets were easy to communicate. So in that group, some hear as they hear it for the first time. And then they receive the gospel as coming from the authority of God himself, not just people. And then they get a response. And that response is that many of them believe, but some become, uh, you know, uh, you might say, uh, faced hard against the gospel. In other words, I want to hear nothing about it. It, it, I do not believe it. But there's always some who do. Now, let me ask this. How many of you like the jobs that you have during the week? You better keep that hand up, staff. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. You know, a lot of us, because we live in America, we don't like that job. We usually have a chance to go find another one until we find one that we like. Now, no matter how much you like your job, can I say, I must like mine more. I've got the best job in the world. I love my job. But there's a problem when I try to speak God's message to people who do not yet believe. And the problem is, is I'm a mercenary. I'm paid for it. I'm a hired gun. They also know that I've practiced a lot. And I've read and I've studied and I've memorized and I've done it time and time again. So that they expect me to be speaking about my faith to them and the eyes roll, the doors lock. It just happens all the time if they know me in the community. But that's not so with you. You see, with you, when you speak the message, the good news, the gospel, people say, why are you doing this? There's only two reasons because you're not paid for it like I am. The only two reasons you have is I believe it. Down in my soul, I have put my trust in this message. Just as I read to you from 1 Corinthians 15. It is down there deep. And I am giving you a message which I believe is by God's authority. It was given to us. And so therefore, as I share it with you, I may not have the expertise or the experience uh, I may not be as good as others, but you know what? I'm not clergy, and that means I'm good for nothing as I speak the gospel. You cannot claim that I'm getting extra benefits by doing it. Well, goes back to now where we begin. There is an authority of our message that we can speak with confidence. It's the same great message that we've been carrying around for 2,000 years. And as you bring it, you know, there's a, there's a choice. Uh, uh, I guess if you were to qualify me, you could say it's like going to a, a automobile dealer and you speak to sales staff. And the sales staff 
really want to sell you a car. In fact, I've never been to a, you know, sat down in an office of a sales staff where they said, you know, you don't really need a car right now. Never happened. So they say me as a sales staff. They see you as a satisfied customer. Which would you rather listen to? I know who I'd rather listen to. I have a son-in-law who says, I bought this car, best car I've ever owned. Can't wait to own one myself. I, I, I have a daughter-in-law who says, you know, I, I've, I've been using this product for two years now. You really ought to use it, Jim. It'll make you look 45 again. <laughs> I, you know, I have all of these uh, satisfied customers. And they're not being paid for it. They're not on infomercials. They're not being coached. They're just satisfied customers. And so, the, you know, Paul's concern is that we have the greatest message in the world, but how about the messenger? And probably some of us understand that if the messenger is in tune with the message, it makes it much easier to believe. But if the message is from Dr. Jekyll, but the messenger is like Dr. Hyde, uh, Mr. Hyde, we have a problem here. The messenger builds a barrier for the message. And so the rest of the passage really focuses in on the authenticity of the messengers. And it says in verse 1 of the passage I, I, that I read, First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Now, it doesn't say my message to you was without results. It says our message to you was not without results. He went with Timothy and Silas and Paul. They went as a team of three. And they shared the good news. And they shared the good news together. And, and, and if one of the, uh, you know, if one of the listeners thought that the messenger, uh, was not giving, you know, they, they didn't believe really just this one messenger giving the message, they could go to the other one and see if it, you know, if they aligned together. But the most important thing that's, that's here is that you will find that the, the words, um, I, me, or mine, are never used in this entire passage, but instead, we, us, or ours. We, us, or ours is used 27 times. He's talking about this ministry has to be a team ministry. And that you have to understand that the messengers not just believe in the message, but they sort of want to same, uh, share the same uh, messenger uh, excellence together. Now, let's just say, because we've gone through a very tumultuous um, election, that either Donald or Hillary came to you and, and said, you know, I want to share with you about my personal faith in Jesus Christ. What would you think as it's coming from the messenger with all the scandals that have gone through the last 18 months? You would probably say, I, I would like to hear an apology first, please, please. Uh, because uh, this this item known as opposition, uh, oppositional research is extremely effective. But here were Paul, Silas, and Timothy sharing it together. 
And let's be honest, if just one of them shared that gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, if only one of them shared it, you would say, well, thank you for your personal opinion. And that's exactly what happens to Paul when he goes to Athens. But if three come together, that brings what we call street cred, credibility. And there is a lot of credibility here. Therefore, when Jesus sends out his disciples... He has 12 and he sends them out and they don't go to 12 different places. They can only go to six because he sends them out in pairs. That's just a method that God says builds credibility. It's not one crazy person walking through town. So authenticity increases with increased numbers of authentic followers of Jesus. The second thing is that, you know, as you examine these people's lives, are they God pleasers or people pleasers? And he says in verse four, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. They're more concerned about pleasing God with the way they live than pleasing men. Now, some people say that that as an excuse, some people who were mean and crotchety all the time, you know them, right? Uh, Some people say, well, I'm just telling you the truth, Jim. This is the way I see it. Uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, You say it differently than just about everybody else. I think you're expressing your character, not so much your truth. But in the same way, no one could ever say with him, we decided we would spend extra time with the rich. We just think they're more important. They get more time. They could never say that we develop focus groups first to know which part of our message would be best received. They gave the whole message. They never sent out uh, in, uh, slanted surveys or did internal pollings. What they were trying to do was to please God. Now let's put together pleasing God and not flattery because he says it wasn't flattery, but honestly affirming other people. Let me just share from my own experience. I grew up very competitive. I was on a lot of teams where I wanted to win and I wanted to be the best on the team. To be the best on the team, I just didn't have to beat the other teams. I had to be better than everybody else on my team. And so I would find ways not just to compete against the other teams, but to compete against my own team members. Why? So I could look good. So I could score more points. Didn't work. But I have begun to learn in these last 50 plus years, and I'm running out of time. These last 50 plus years, the value of affirmation to others, just saying thank you for your work. That wasn't a part of me. Because the better you were, the worse I felt I was. And yet as I thank people for their work, I'm not pleasing them. Hopefully I'm pleasing God because I'm careful not to have any expectations that I'll receive something back for my words. I just want them to hear, well done. Now, I know that God knows better than any person on this planet my true motives. And I realize they're not always authentic. They're not always trying to please him. But friends, the issue is... Are you, like Paul, Timothy, and Silas, going after God's approval 
Or are you going after man's? Only you can search that out with, with God. The next thing about them is they were servant leaders and very good servant leaders. It says in verses 6 and 7, even though as apostles of Christ, notice they used that title, okay? Uh, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. This is about the only time in this entire letter where they use a title, apostles. And what they're saying is, is we didn't use the authority that goes with the title. We didn't claim any special power, any supernatural experiences that would try to make us look better than Jesus, whom we preach. So he goes on to say, this is how we lived among you in verses 9 and 10. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. You see, they serve this new community of believers. Part of their service is working for their own keep rather than asking to be paid. Now, I just want to say this. I like being paid. I've gotten used to it, and I hope it continues. I like being paid, and it came with the, with the deal. There are a lot of people, even some of our missionaries, uh, <clears throat> that have to raise their support so that they can be with the people to whom they're ministering without asking to be paid by them. Does that increase credibility or decrease authenticity. It only increases it because we decided we would not be a burden to you. Now, two years ago, I was <clears throat> uh, really about this time, uh, Barb and I were in uh, uh, New York City visiting our son, and uh, he decided to take us to all the great places. I saw more museums in that four days than I'd seen probably in 10 years of my life. Uh, <clears throat> he's an artist, so it's okay. But the other thing that he took us to is the famous sites. We were there at uh, Central Park, and we went down Times Square. And in both of those places, there's these people dressed in costumes. Uh, costumes to make them look like famous heroes or superheroes or famous characters. Disney's not allowed there. And Disney won't allow its characters to be there without finding them. But uh, one of them was Captain America. And there's Captain America all decked out, you know, and, and, and then you go, I want to get a picture with Captain America. So you, you get there, you take that selfie, and Captain America asks, you know, the captain then looks at you and says, that'll be $20, please. They have dressed their parts to be able to make a living. They can't make Broadway, but they can make Times Square, Okay. And they love the acting. They love to play the role. We promote the good news of Jesus Christ. That he died for our sins and he was raised on the third day. As a free gift of God's grace. And so not asking to be supported. Avoids building a barrier between the team and the people. Instead, it builds a bridge. Let's not talk about money. Let's talk about Jesus. 
The next thing that you see about them is, is the way that they related to the people, not using authority, but using genuine care. In verses uh, 7 and 8, it says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. He, he's building bridges using two great images. Let me do the first. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives as well. So to build a bridge to these people, they are showing genuine care. And the first image that they use is like a mother cares for her new births. It really is young, dependent, in your arms type of children. Now, in July, our second grandson or grandchild was born in Summit County. And uh, we went up there, and I, I just want you to know, I'm not a, I, I'm not a great baby holder. But we go into the in, into the room, and there's our daughter and son-in-law, and they're both passing the baby back and forth, and in comes Barb. You give me that kiddo right now, <laughs> and she takes that baby, and she she's just back to where she was, you know, 38 years ago, and so am I, and so she says, Jim, it's your turn. And I go, when you gave me Josh, I was afraid I was going to break him. You know, his head might, you know, his, his head might fall off if I don't hold him right. You know, what, how, how am I going to do this? I, they didn't teach me how to hold a baby. It's instinctive for the mother, not so quick for the father. And so as he's held by his mother and by his grandmother, he fits right in. The issue and the probably the biggest issue when it's talking about this, how did we treat you like a nursing mother as a mother cares for her little newborns? We treated you gently. We didn't have high expectations on you. We were patient with you. We let you make innocent mistakes as new believers. We'll worry about your language and the things that need to be cleaned up in your life a little later. It's okay to be ignorant and not know anything. We are going to use gentleness and patience with you. Now, that's what a mother does. And they love doing it. But there's a second image here. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And then these words, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom of glory. Fathers are different. Usually, fathers are different. Now, a father is different than a chemistry professor because, first of all, he's dealing with each child individually. Yes, if you have 20 children, I realize you need a little organization and team meetings and things like that. And so does the United States Marine Corps. But a father here is treating each child individually. Paul, Silas, and Timothy treat each new believer as an individual, not as a group. And they treat him with the unique qualities that only a mother and a father may notice of their children. Now, all three of my children growing up learned to ride a bicycle. Uh, I had uh, devised the perfect plan to teach them to ride a bicycle. I, I planned it out in advance because one of the things that a father adds instead of just, uh, you, you might say, instead of just treating each child individually is also a sense of expectancy. I'm looking at how I'm going to train you. A lot of dads do that. And 
as you look at that, I had three children. I had the perfect way. I showed it to Barb. She goes, you know, it may not work. Of course it's going to work. Look at it. It's perfect. And so uh, the problem is none of the children used it. The plan I had, uh, well, let's say my oldest son, he went away and because I was trying to teach him, I think he was, you know, he did it on his own. He never used dad to teach him to ride his bicycle. He went away with a group of friends and, and they just learned to ride their bikes together. Missed out on that one. Uh, uh, they, we had another one where, you know, the idea was that the training wheels would be raised just a little bit each month. So that as their balance grew, they would ease into it. And finally, the last one let me run alongside the bike. By then, I was well into my 40s, and I couldn't do it. (laughs) Can I share something that's happened to us that you need to be aware of? We're no longer a church of 50 adults, where I know each of you by name and most of your family history. You've all sent me your IRS, you know, returns and no. <laughs> that has been a major change at Bergen Park Church. And so knowing each of you individually is not up to me, but it's up to the team. And it's up to you. How does that look? Well, I think you have to find yourself gathering with people that you would like to spend time with and they would like to spend time with you and become you become no, better known by your small groups than, than your huge capacity some of that also deals with the fact that it's always been a problem with me remembering names but also the fact that 20 or 30 new names a month is quite difficult but here he describes it a father is different than a mother in his care for a child. A a mother is gentle. A father, you might say, is expectant. He has a plan. Most dads I know are wanting to be around there to teach you how to walk. They want to be there to teach you to tie your shoes, to hit a baseball, to make your bed and clean your room, and to do calculus in third grade. That's what we love to do. Expectant does not mean harsh, but we are looking for progress. We want to be around to see that happen. That's what it means by urging you along. Friends, I I want to say this. We're talking about the authenticity of the messengers. And because you're good for nothing, you're a more important messenger than me. If you are saying it to other people and you're living it before them in a lifestyle where you're showing genuine concern, genuine concern for their lives, then understand they're buying it more from you because you're living it. It's authentic. It's all the way through. You can do this. I want to say many of you already are doing it and you'll continue to do it. You have the privilege of giving the most transformational message ever given in human history. And it has great authority. And it really, believe it or not, it gets through to people when it's presented poorly. But the messenger is authentic. 
It's about a relationship with God that brings us abundant life and eternal life. And God has chosen you as his messengers. Because you speak as the satisfied customers that people will listen to and believe. Their words and their lives. Your words and your lives make you authentic followers of Jesus. It's a joy to be your pastor. Let's pray. Father, thank you for so many who are first honest about themselves and realize and willing to say, I have a long way to go. But thanks also that this gospel is at work in everyone who believes. And it's at work as we find ourselves intersecting with other people in our lives, in our homes and in our communities and in our work and in the whole world. When it our message aligns with the authentic life that we carry around. A bridge is built. People listen. God's spirit is at work. Bringing them gently over that bridge to faith in your son whom we follow. Pray for the person who's hearing that message. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And there were tons of witnesses. And for those who are still considering, they might believe today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.